drive better outcomes with the Huntsford podcast. Hello and welcome to this Huntsford podcast. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the general insurance sector on the topic of pricing and value and really delve into some of the issues firms are facing when navigating this very complex issue. It won't be a surprise that pricing is high on the agenda for firms given the regulators increased focus on the topic and I think it's fair to say that we're all waiting with bated breath the the FCA's pricing market study report which is due out some point this year or even early next. My name's Nikki Checo, I'm the General Insurance Account Director at Huntswood and today to look at some of the areas of this very wide-reaching topic I'm pleased to be joined by John Withington, a former Senior Ombudsman and an Associate of Huntswood and Paul Dyer, Huntswood's Head of Regulatory Risk and Assurance. The general insurance industry is hugely important to the UK economy and is getting a lot of media scrutiny lately, in particular around some of the issues that COVID-19 has caused in areas such as travel insurance and business interruption. So customers will understandably want to know that they can trust their insurance provider and know that they're receiving a fair price and not being penalised for their loyalty. So I would firstly like to kick off by asking Paul, Paul, where is the FCA's main focus with regards to pricing fairness and value in the insurance industry and what should firms be doing right now? Great question to start with. Thanks, Nikki. Um, okay, so, so I guess it's been an interesting year for everybody, really, whether you're a consumer, an insurer or a regulator. And, um, and looking at it, I think regulatory priorities have taken somewhat of a dramatic shift during this period. So from what was some very kind of aggressive regulatory practices, particularly on this topic, um, over the last two years. I think they've taken a slight backseat during the pandemic in order to make sure that there was continuity of service, products, policies and coverage um, in these kind of unprecedented times. Um, I think that created sort of a, a, a temporary distraction one way or another that now we're resuming full service with. And that full service really is driving towards the final report that's due at the end of this year from the FCA on uh, pricing practices. It follows up on the interim market study from last year, the ABI Bieber guidance um, from the year before, dear CEO letter, um, I mean, numerous publications around product value, um, as well as some of the the pandemic related changes in in relation to temporary vulnerabilities and um, where some some consumers are going through financial difficulty. So it's really back to full service now. We're expecting a report later in the year. Um, I think the key step for firms is understanding really what are the desired outcomes they want for their customers and using this as a basis for for business decisions. I can see a lot of firms taking actions, setting up programs, doing stress testing, scenario analysis of what exists. But a critical part of that is thinking about, well, actually, how do they want to interact with their customers? Where is the value in their products? Um, there's a bit of a trap. You could treat it as a tactical issue when really what we're looking at here is getting the balance right for the long term. So, um, so pricing fairness is very much front and center for the FCA. This isn't going to suddenly disappear. This is a, a longer term, slow burn focus. The key thing is, is making sure that firms are putting in place the needed programmes to make the changes. Um, And John, I think it's fair to say that some of the early changes we saw with regards to um, pricing complaints were with the the, um, financial ombudsman. And as a former senior ombudsman, 
who specialised in the general insurance and pricing complaints area. Are you able to share what, what your experiences were during that time um, and, um, and any insight that you have? Yeah, for sure, Nikki. Uh, I left the service in February and was there for around six years. And much of my work, I'd say probably the last four years, had been very much specialising on looking into unfairness uh, in, the, in the area of pricing uh, and insurance. Um, so relatively slow burn, if, if I'm honest. Um, but it really started when we noticed increasing uh, concerns from consumers about renewal pricing. And although this scenario wasn't exclusive, it was often a sort of mum and dad situation where you might have an older uh, grown-up son or daughter who had got their own insurance, had their own life, and would find themselves having a conversation with mum or dad uh, and often be shocked to hear some of the premium prices that were being paid. And we're talking here about often in the very high hundreds and, and not infrequently over a £1,000. And actually, when this, this first was looking at um, property insurance, we were talking about fairly mundane, fairly ordinary insurance needs, you know, a fairly uh, nothing specific or special that would generate the need for such high premiums. Um, so we started to get more of these complaints and actually some quite passionate ones, you know, older people, a son or daughter representing them coming to us. And that led us to start focusing on what was driving, what were the drivers were behind such high prices. And it became, it became fairly obvious to us that it was probably the impact of gradual price increase since the real uh, increase in the market of the influence of price comparison websites, for example, and that prices had gradually got to the point where you still couldn't ignore them anymore on renewal letters. They became quite surprisingly high. Um, I think uh, many realise the challenges in this area because obviously we aren't involved in price regulation and insurance insurance services there are as a wide open market and often we would get the response from the insurers themselves that when we asked these questions that it was open to them to charge what they thought was appropriate and of course consumers could go elsewhere if they weren't satisfied and that's absolutely right the essence of a free market where consumer choice exists but while the insurers hesitated often to even engage with us around pricing, uh, feeling that it wasn't something for us, it was a commercial discretion issue, um, we found actually that they were always talking about uh, things like underwriting. Uh, and when we came to look closer at some of these very high number insurance uh, premiums, we weren't really being very persuaded that the, uh, that the underwriting factors were, were fundamental and that made major changes. What became really obvious, and if I'm honest, insurers weren't comfortable, I think, talking about this, is that there were a lot of sort of wider economic factors coming into play, uh, particularly around consumer behaviour, uh, around price tolerance, ultimately. Uh, and those were clearly things that were necessary to fit with a, an economic model, which was looking at price incentives for people entering the market, so lower prices, and offsetting some of those issues later on. So you're starting to see probably quite very common price management issues, but in an environment, obviously a regulated environment, where, where, where fairness for customers uh, should be a key issue. So we were concerned at that point about uh, consumer fairness uh, in the same way that the latest Uber complaint from uh, the CAB and the SCA's responses have been concerned. Uh, we started some discussions at that point with insurers who had the largest volume of complaints with us. There were a few that were very much towards the top end in terms of numbers of, of dissatisfied customers. Uh, and we started having formal conversations with those insurers about uh, about settlements. Our position was very much, and I believe that it remains the case with the Ombudsman Service, that when a consumer had an insurance policy for a number of years, we'd often find it would be three years or more, five years or more, uh, where introductory discounts may have gone, they may have been clawed back, 
that we were looking that if there wasn't a very reasonable, explainable reason for an increase, uh, what we might think of as price drift, so gradual and substantial increase in price over a period of time, then we would look to see whether that, that, was, uh, that was actually unfair. Uh, and, and just to be very clear, it's really important to make this point. The Ombudsman Service is at no stage trying to say to businesses that this is the right price for insurance. Uh, it's entirely up to an insurer how they treat underwriting. Uh, they can be entirely uh, non-competitive and that wouldn't attract the interest of the Ombudsman from a fairness perspective. If an insurer wants to be non-competitive with its underwriting approach, then so long as it's doing the same thing for its consumers across the piece, and that's, that's it, treating its consumers fairly. So this isn't about what the right price is in insurance, it's about what the rationale is for increases in price. And where an insurer wasn't able to explain to us that there was a policy in place, a procedure, an underwriting approach, an attitude to risk, or specific issues about that consumer that led to their premium increasing because of, let's say, claims, then we were left with the conclusion that there was, there was unfairness in place. And we actually negotiated with a lot of those businesses. We started to negotiate repayments of what we felt were overpaid premiums. So that was a fundamental step for us to take. Um, but actually, I would emphasise something which I think a lot of people uh, have overlooked, is that the whole business of pricing has... Uh, is, there's something of an industry within insurance companies that there's a lot of issues around around insurance premiums that aren't just about renewal. They're not just about what we started to call inertia and some people call price drift. There's lots of things about how insurers conduct the whole premium engagement with the consumers where we would get complaints. And in fact, many more complaints would come to us about other issues than would come to us about inertia. So we would get complaints about things like midterm adjustments, uh, things like uh, non-disclosure issues, even things like refunds of premiums because of mistakes. And we actually set up a, a unit that I led for two years that looked at all of these scenarios uh, and ended up concluding something like around 15 or 16 principles of fairness for all different types of scenarios of complaints where there were still areas of unfairness in place. What I think it said to us and said to me specifically, I think, is that there's something of a... This isn't just, as Paul said at the start of this, an issue around changing some procedures, around uh, minor changes to the way in which pricing is set, for example, specifically about uh, inertia. It's about a lot of ways in which uh, insurers treat the customer pricing journey, uh, how they take uh, contributions, how they take premiums, how they recover them, how they adjust premiums, particularly, as I said, during the life of, of an insurance policy. And many of those issues need to be unpicked as well as the large one at the moment, which is the one about inertia. It, it's really, John, it, I mean, I think you hit the, the nail on the head really succinctly. Um, when I think about it, I mean, the fact that you've got customers complaining that are then giving you these insights into that whole product governance and customer journey. And I think it's, it's really easy to kind of try and pick out specific issues and deal with them on that, that kind of tactical issue by issue basis. But fundamentally, this is about trying to just continually improve through product governance and customer journey, right? Listening to what it's telling you, looking at where things are going wrong, um, could be from a commercial, customer, regulatory standpoint, and just making sure you're, you're continually improving your practices to deliver better customer outcomes. I think to that, ex to, to that extent, it's quite easy to almost get distracted by any one of the whether it's inertia pricing, whether it's the, the idea of the renewal or dual pricing, 
Um, there are a number of areas which demonstrate vulnerabilities and maybe where even consumer vulnerability isn't properly taken into account, but fundamentally are just indicators of where product governance needs to be better listening to the experiences actually of those involved in the process. Must have, must have been very satisfying for you at the, at the Ombudsman, I think, to probably to get that, that broader view, I would have thought. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right what you said. And, and you're satisfying, yes. We, uh, we certainly had a very different approach to complaints uh, about pricing four or five years ago where we were a little un- unclear and a little uncomfortable probably about stepping into this sort of area. Uh, we tended to deal with complaints which were about mistakes, a mistake in a premium being set because there was a, a record of a claim that didn't exist. And so it was very easy to deal with those as being unfair and, and ask for the money to be returned. But actually unpicking... Uh, some of the issues around the way in which this sort of macroeconomic modelling filters through the whole process of how uh, claim handlers, how in, how how uh, premium handlers, how those dealing with administrative issues during the life of a policy, how they're interacting with consumers. Um, it's simple things like, and they may well be cultural, things like um, what we called worst-case scenario assumptions when it comes to a lack of information about a consumer. It wasn't unusual to find an insurer take the worst case scenario to contribute to the underwriting. So let's say there was a new postcode uh, which didn't have any risk record. Uh, a lot of insurers would take their highest uh, flood risk rating and apply it to that because it was unknown. Uh, and we started to challenge and say, well, perhaps you should be applying the nearest postcodes rating rather than a worst case scenario. And that applied similarly in cases to do with sizes of property where if a bit, if an insurer didn't know, there was an occasion we found that they put all of those where they lacked information to 100 rooms, their maximum that the computer would take. Now, that has an effect on, on premiums, but isn't necessarily the fairest way to treat a consumer. It's an administrative convenience and possibly, as you've touched upon, links into a general culture which is trying to facilitate the hungry beasts at the front end with low price of entry and having to have a, a sort of culture and policies that ensure that where, it's, where the money is available the maximum amount is recovered for other reasons elsewhere. So I think there's very satisfying to get to unpick some of that. But as you've pointed out, an awful lot, I think, for, for insurers to have to think about and a lot of work to be done on both procedures and culture as they try to unpick some of these issues. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it the, the fact this happens to coincide as well at a time when the FCA is increasing, it's, you know, we know it has a harm-based model where it looks to identify, well, what are the poor suboptimal outcomes for consumers? And it, it's gearing its decision making behind that, so it's turning to things like vulnerability, much more. Um, and they've they've linked very, that very clearly to this issue. I think saying that where insurers don't address issues in equality of knowledge or help more vulnerable consumers, um, they're going to be taking very decisive action. I think this this has attracted a lot of attention. Um, and I think for most firms, they seem to be. They're probably at the center of a dilemma around customer engagement, commercial performance, and then the scrutiny and the push from the regulator. Um, how did you find, in terms of the complaints that, that you saw and you were involved with, how did you find the insurers were reacting to the complaints they were receiving from consumers? Was there any consistency? I think if there was a consistency, it was very much that it wasn't an area that they felt uh, that the ombudsman should consider and should get involved in. And as I said, I think at the start, 
that in an open market where people are free to choose, so long they felt that so long as they gave people the information through renewal notices, for example, that they were required to by the regulator, including last year's price, uh, that they were doing their bit. And if consumers chose not to uh, exercise their right to go elsewhere, then, and as I said at the start, the term often used, the price is the price. That became the mantra. So initially, uh, and I think throughout the way in which businesses tended to deal with the consumers at first point of contact, there wasn't an appetite for uh, for this understanding or grasping the idea that there may have been some unfairness because of these larger economic models going on. So, so certainly uh, we didn't see much willingness to go there. Uh, and obviously, I think that will be a real challenge as the regulators made it very clear the direction of travel. It'll be a real challenge for many to have to, to, to face up to this and to make the changes we've talked about. In many cases, it seems that firms just as you're kind of kind of alluding to, are sort of now bring, redefining what value is in this context. Um, I think, you know, in terms of pricing, that's one, definitely from a consumer standpoint, we know that's one of the key indicators. You've got sort of retail versus technical pricing and, and things that need to be taken into account. But there are other dimensions as well, such as the, the value the product gives, service and accessibility, thinking particularly to vulnerability, um, and the experience more broadly, which I think is maybe over the years, insurance, particularly with competition, perhaps, you know, in, in some cases, it's easy to lose track of any one of those in pursuit of, of another one. Um, so I think for me to see complaints suddenly driving, and particularly the financial ombudsman service with the, the super complaint and other things, sort of using what you're hearing to then drive better outcomes I think that has, that has to be the way forward. And I think for, for many of the insurers that we engage with, they're very open to this. It's moreover a case of just trying to work out how they, they almost reframe their activities to look at this through, through the new lens. I'm sure that's the case. And I think the, the answers uh, in what you said there is those you're working with are those I think who probably engage with Huntswood and are looking progressively at how they can provide better service and better meet obliga obligations to the regulator and their, and their clients. By definition, they're part way down the path already, aren't they? Of course, there's a lot of businesses out there that aren't actively engaged and will be reactive to the, uh, to the regulator. Uh, I think the real challenge for the market is, uh, is how those position themselves and just how deeply they can, uh, they can grasp some of the cultural issues here and address them. So I think, um, Paul and John, we've, we've seen quite a lot of activity from insurance firms already in terms of uh, looking at their pricing strategies, looking at their product governance, etc. Um, but there are certain elements of the, uh, the market study that maybe firms are reluctant to change um, just because of the, the, the impact maybe financially um, or to, to their competitiveness, um, such as, for example, um, the renewal pricing piece, um, the auto switching of customers onto better deals, um, very much waiting for the FCA to, um, to instruct the industry to move as a whole rather than for in individual firms to do it uh, proactively. Is that your experience as well in terms of what, what you're seeing firms doing? So I think, um, yeah, so I, I, I think it is. I think firms are, are probably falling into a couple categories. You've got those who are dealing with the tactical issue at hand. You've got those who are adopting a much broader, uh, more root and branch review of what product value is. And then you've got some firms, I think, who 
maybe have their head in the sand waiting to see where all this is really going to go. Um, I think to, in, in order to get on the front foot, there's probably a couple of key areas. One is around strategy, just aligning the pricing strategy with the overall strategy, what you want to do for your customer, what value for money means for you, how this aligns to conduct risk. There's a piece then around kind of risk assessment, understanding the regulatory environment and where your appetite is, assessing the degree to which your pricing strategy is being implemented in practice, um, the, you know, the exposure within your, within your risk models, um, and then finally, I think control environment, which is really about making sure the control and MR you have in place is making sure that at a minimum, your actions aren't exacerbating the problem. Um, so, so there are some fundamental things that, that a lot of firms seem to be tackling, I think in the right way, but there's definitely more to be done. And, and I think waiting for the, the FCA to dictate the pace maybe is it could work out to be a a folly ultimately i john i'd be interested in terms of the in terms of your experiences when looking at value in some of these complaints value i think becomes quite a contentious term that and maybe this this is the root of the different responses we're seeing did you have much interaction on the topic of what better value should it should be or is with firms uh, I had some interesting interaction, uh, unrelated to, to pricing specifically. Actually, I went to some conferences uh, which were dealing with with claims, and I think a lot of a lot of firms would possibly argue that they have changed some of their marketing. I've seen this uh, just as a, as a general consumer looking at you know when you see your advertisements on the television. There's a lot more marketing now about value of claims handling, about uh, about walking people through claims, being more supportive, and that was presented to me when I went to uh, to a, a claims based insurance. Uh, conference where I was illustrating some of the issues around uh, value, true value of products because of the breakdown in handling the, the whole claims infrastructure, you know, offset, off sending people off to different companies to different parts of the claims handling. And I was hearing from industry that a, a, a very much a, a focus on trying to change. And so I think I've seen some of that in terms of advertising uh, and marketing and the way in which uh, customers are trying to be uh, brought in now. Um, and as you say, though, there's a fundamental clash between some of those issues about value of a product. If you still have in place the infrastructure that you put in place as an insurer to generate premiums, to meet your model, which was very much about front-end, cheaper prices, and perhaps back-end, uh, and to be blunt, sometimes taking advantage of consumers and their inertia and their lack of information. So, uh, so in terms of value of service, I've certainly seen plenty from industry and a lot of conversation around that, but typically that's been around claims handling. It doesn't tend to correlate, and never certainly never correlated in my conversation when we started talking about the price they were charging for things. Uh, it may well be that the reason for that is we were talking to people about price because we had concerns about their price methodology. Uh, if industry can continue with that focus and wants to move towards pure true value, uh, then we may see a more... A cohesive move and a more supportive move when the re regulator brings in the requirements it will around pricing. But again, as I said, I've seen sufficient evidence to suggest that's going to be a very large challenge for a lot of a lot of insurers. We, I would say, we used to have conversations certainly around pricing on the issue of price of production, uh, as it was it was often referred to, uh, and the idea that you know, there's a price for insurance and that price has a median point which is somewhere based around the cost of administrating and and then obviously servicing those claims. Um, 
but I saw plenty of evidence, including from some very large insurers when we were talking about the policy approach to this, of a real detachment between the reality of that and the prices they were charging their consumers uh, and very difficult for them to correlate and, and, and uh, the, the idea that there was this price for production uh, and where they were delivering that uh, across their consumer base. What very much seemed to be the case is, as an average, they were delivering it but some were winners, as we've obviously aware of and talked about, and some were losers. And the losers were those, often as you touched upon, who may be more vulnerable, may be less liable and able to move. And the example I gave earlier was a very general example, but it was very often the case that the, those complaints that generated our concern uh, so those, those years ago were older people whose growing-up children were saying, Mum, Dad, why on earth are you paying this for your insurance? So that begs a question about true value and about the way in which value is spread across the insured population rather than how it applies to each individual within with a policyholder within the insurer's portfolio. And I think there are two, two reflections there. One is that it was interesting in the interim, um, interim report to see that the FCA had, despite hesitating previously, I think, indicated that they may... Um, may may get involved in some sort of pricing model regulation. Um, I think the, the this reflects the extent to which there's concern with some of the pricing practices that are there, because this this really isn't a Pandora's box for most regulators getting involved in any sort of any sort of pricing uh, model regulation. So, so that that I mean that could be even even just the threat of that in the background. Um, could be game-changing for the whole thing. The, the, the second reflection, just based on what you're saying, John, it'd be interesting to get Nikki's views here, is I think in, in terms of some of the complaints outlook work we're undertaking and, and engaging with firms, it's interesting to see the level of customer sentiment on these topics. I don't know if it's driven, and this is continuing, I don't know if it's driven by the fact that there is this vulnerability. I don't know if it's because actually this is more newsworthy than ever before and people are more aware of their rights. But the level of emotion that you see in some of the complaints that come through, it's almost moved beyond what is a simple pricing pricing point issue. Um, and I think it's challenging some, some complaints processes. What do you think, Nikki? Yeah, I would agree. And I think it was exacerbated even further by the recent um, you know, events surrounding COVID-19 where you had... Um, some very difficult complaints being handled by complaint handlers working from home um, who were dealing with you know people in very distressing situations who weren't necessarily getting their claim looked at in a timely manner or, or indeed um, uh, it, it being declined and therefore having to go through the complaints process so I think that that's that's um, that that uh, made some of the situations a lot worse I also think with regards to consumer behavior we've seen a bit of a shift recently and again probably um, exacerbated by the COVID-19 situation, um, which is where customers are now seemingly going either straight to CEO uh, letter complaints um, a lot more, um, and also in some cases going straight to the FOS. So they're, they're kind of not going through the process either because there's a barrier in the way if they can't get through to contact centres or um, they can't um, navigate the online channel very well. Um, and so they're, they're doing the uh, the dear CEO letter in terms of an, an executive complaint. I don't know if you've seen that as well, um, John, in terms of a shift of consumer behaviour. Yeah, certainly that's the that's the latter point you made is is the case, Nikki. Is that people are 
are more inclined, I think, now to get straight to the point and have more access to, to different uh, points of entry uh, for their complaint. I think, though, that there's it is an interesting reflection that, that, that Paul made and one that I think I can probably shed a little light on as well because um, as an ombudsman, you deal with complaints about all sorts of things and you deal with complaints a lot about the claims process, which are fundamental moments in people's lives where something's gone terribly wrong. You know, their house has been flooded. They've been out of the house for two years sometimes. They've been a mess up with the drying process. Contractors have failed, etc., etc. And there's obviously passion in those complaints uh, when, when you come to deal with them. But actually, I, I saw passion in complaints about pricing, which were just as powerful, and in fact, uh, typically more so. And some of that, I think, is about the very principles of trust. It's about the feeling that someone's been had over, if you like. You know, when they realise after six or seven years that they've been paying an insurance price, that when someone's pointed to an online price that's £700 cheaper they feel thoroughly angry that they've been put through a process where they've left themselves with a you know an institution that they may have some history with but who they assume looks after their interests and then to discover that actually they've had money taken away from them that they believe they've been let's say conned out of that's their personal perception it generates a hell of a lot of uh, heat and a lot of passion as as paul said which is, is, is at least as manifest, as I said, you see with some of these life-changing incidents that people are dealing with about, uh, about insurance claims and problems with the way in which their, their house is being rebuilt, for example. So I think there is that, that whole issue, issue and ethos of trust really gets to people and really creates heat. And as you say, with the ability for people to get more speedily to the point of contact, contacting directly, uh, you know, and making noise that, that, that is more, that is heard louder through social media, uh, through, uh, through uh, Facebook posts, through Twitter, that obviously generates speed and rapidity. But I think the passion is, is all about trust and about the sense that people have been taken advantage of. I wanted to, to ask a final question because I'm always asked by insurance firms um, about it. So I guess, Paul, it would be great to get your view on this in terms of what, what potential remedies do you think the FCA will outline in their market study? Um, and what do you think firms could be doing um, right now in order to prepare for what the potential um, fallout from that might be? So I think there's there's three key areas really that that we anticipate action. So restrictions on pricing practices, uh, auto switching customers onto better deals. Um, I think and auto renewals and transparency are the three areas I expect to see. I expect to see changes, fundamental changes. Um, I think I think beyond that though, really the the opportunity here really is is John was kind of alluding to is is greater than the sum of the parts. So for those firms who are more proactive and go beyond what is expected reg change, actually there's an opportunity to build greater consumer trust and fundamentally take a competitive advantage. So I, I expect quite, quite a broad set of changes, but what I'd like to see, I think, is firms really taking this to heart and, and creating opportunity as a result. Well, thank you very much, Paul and John, um, for providing your insight into how general insurance firms are preparing themselves for the upcoming FCA report. Um, I think it's clear to see there's a pivotal, pivotal time for the industry and as good progress is made, I think it's important that firms don't lose momentum. Um, I think it's also important to note the FCA's shift towards customer outcomes and value for money, and it seems 
they may well be taking a bit more of an interventionist role um, in pricing. So whilst the focus of the FCA's investigation has been how pricing works within the GI market, there may well be implications for the whole of the financial services industry. Um, so please feel free to get in touch to carry on the conversation if this is a topic that's high on your agenda. Or if you'd like to find out a bit more information and understand how Huntswood can support your firm, then please visit huntswood.com. Download one of our research papers and keep an eye on our social channels for further information on relevant topics such as the pricing um, topic within regulated marketplaces. Drive better outcomes with the Huntswood podcast.